Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Here we go then, it's win or bust time for Manchester City. One game of the season to go and the knowledge that three points against Aston Villa will guarantee Pep Guardiola his fourth Premier League title in five years. Anything less and the door will be open for Liverpool to steal in and take the crown instead. So, how are you feeling ahead of Sunday's game? Probably a little better had Riyad Mahrez stuck that penalty away against West Ham at the weekend, but we can't have everything, can we? It's still in City's hands at least. On today's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be gearing up for that final day nail-biter by checking in with Frankie Maguire from All Villa no filler and we'll take a look back at how important that fight back in the second half at the London Stadium really was given the circumstances we'll also hear from Howard Hocking for the final time this term plus we've got our heads together to come up with the alternative moments of the season so stay tuned for that I'm David Mooney with me for this one I've got two City fans from statcity.co.uk it's Adam Carter hello and from One Football, it's Dan Burke hello David how are you doing uh, can I answer that on Sunday evening? <laughs> <laughs> you can, yeah. Because <laughs> I, uh, I kind of get the impression that's how we're, we're all feeling at the moment. Um, let's start with uh, with the West Ham game, though. Um, Adam, it's the, the question is, um, heroic point, or uh, was it a good solution to a problem that should never have existed? <laughs> well, c- can I absolutely cop out and say that I, I'll answer you on Sunday, afternoon, uh, Sunday evening for that one as well? Because I think in isolation, it was a great comeback, but putting my negative head on for a second that could be the result that you know um contributed to us not winning the league earlier or certainly in the grand scheme of things it could be the one that got away um so if if you if you if we just try to take this game in isolation you're 2-0 down at half time it's much publicized that city's record of being 2-0 down um at half time in premier league games is rubbish and the fact that we've kind of almost put that to bed by Bring, I think it was the second draw or something from that position. Then you've got to, you've got to take the positives. We knew before the game that we only had to draw to like stay in contention to keep it in our hands. Um, but when when you go two 0 down in that game, then it becomes a bit more of the panic stations and the and the attitude starts to shift a bit more. Because I, I, before the game, I was thinking a draw is fine. I'm happy with that. But then when you go two 0 down, it's and you're like trying to you're clawing a draw back from a losing position. It kind of feels like a defeat in a way. In my weird warped but, version of it, anyway. <laughs> but but what about like you, you've gone two 0 down, you fought back to two two, and then you've been given a penalty, Adam. Come oh, on, I forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> I, I'd actually forgotten about that. Uh, now it feels like an absolute defeat. Now when we've had a penalty and missed it, thank you, David. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just here. To, I'm just here to get get people's feelings. Dan, uh, at half time, uh, how far had your head come off? Because I'll be honest, mine was bouncing down Deansgate. It was like I was I was all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I, I was in a, a pit of absolute despair. I uh, I stayed off Twitter at half time. I went and sat on the balcony and just had a, a good long think to myself. And I, I was actually thinking, I was like. I feel like crying. I'm not going to cry now, but if we lose this game, I think I'll probably cry at full time. Just have a little weep to myself. But 
Yeah, there's a lot I mean, to be said I, I, actually I might... for a good think, isn't there? You know, just sitting down oh, and having oh, a good think. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I might be in the minority list, but I, I didn't think City played that badly in the first half. You know, aside from the, the two goals, which which were really bad, I thought City controlled the game pretty well. All right, they didn't create an awful lot, so it was annoying to be two 0 down at half time because I. Th- Felt, I felt like it was a bit undeserved, really. And I was thinking, there's no chance we're getting back into this now. We, we, we're losing this game. And I was almost thinking to myself, maybe a consolation goal, maybe we just take that now and that, that will chip away at the goal difference a little bit and, and make things maybe you know slightly easier if it comes down to some mad shootout between us and Liverpool on the final day. So to then get that goal back early in the first half was like a big boost. And then to get the second goal was, was great. And at 2-2, two, two, I was like, I'll take this now. A draw will do us. It just means we've got a win on the final day and that's it. And then to, to get the penalty and, and and not score it, I wasn't really that disappointed. I was still quite okay with the draw at full time and it still leaves us in a good position, but it could have been a lot worse, couldn't it? Yeah, it could have been a lot better though. Could have been a lot yeah. better. <laughs> I guess that's the uh, the message of uh, today's show. I mean, the, the, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and take your negative hat off, Adam, and put a positive okay. one on instead. Um, because... <laughs> City were 2-0 down at half-time. That means the final 45 minutes that they played against West Ham, they they, they won the second half 2-0. They've got some, maybe they've got some crucial momentum back now going into that final game. If you'd have, yeah. if, if you'd have taken that first half performance and gone, okay, that's how we're going into the final game, you, you, you may be a little worried. But after that second yeah. half and the way they played in the second half and the way they looked like the old City again in the second half, you kind of go, well, okay, maybe the first 45 was just a little blip and we're, we're back to normal now. Uh, this this therapy session is exactly what I needed before Sunday. So, because just to echo Dan's thoughts there, he said about at half time, if you thought we'll just bring a goal back to sort of chip away that goal difference, I was exactly in the same mentality. So the, then when we got two back, I'm like, okay, there's nothing, nothing's affected the goal difference. It's not got better, but it's not gone worse. And now if you isolate even further, we are going to the minutia now of just saying that only the second 45 minutes against West Ham existed. And that is the momentum that we take into in Sunday's game. Then I'll absolutely take that. And I'm hoping, like you say, the positivity that that kind of brings does ooze into Sunday. And there seems to be loads of smiles in training from the pictures that have been released this week from the club and things. They're obviously only ever going to show those pictures. But I think if, if we cling to that momentum and you've absolutely t- uh, turned my view around there just by saying, let's just c- pretend we played 45 minutes against West Ham. And <laughs> to be fair, the whole game wasn't bad. It was those two moments in isolation in the first half that really knocked the stuffing out of us, really, when we were trying to do things at the other end of the pitch. But yeah, I'm certainly taking that second 45-minute performance. And if we do that on Sunday, we should have enough. Well, it's uh, it's my job here, Dan, to kind of steer this ship uh, kind of back and forwards down this wave of positivity and negativity. So um, why was the defending so... Um, I mean, the word I want to use is kamikaze at times because like, there, there were moments in... Uh, even in that second half, uh, Laporte and Edison with, uh, with, with that kind of back pass that didn't really go... You know, he didn't put it out of play, but it, you know, Edison was steaming off his line. Then Zinchenko decides to pop it back into the danger zone. Uh, Fernandinho with the short back pass. There was, there was moments in the second half as well. I mean, they're playing like a defence who are missing three key members of the personnel, aren't they, really? I think that's the problem. I think, you know, the two goals that they conceded uh, had Laporte and uh, or, or Diaz been alongside 
Uh, sorry, had, had Diaz or Stones been alongside Laporte in defence, um, they probably don't happen. The positioning is probably a little bit better there. You know, they, they hold the line a little bit better. If Walker's at right back, he probably gets back to snuff that out. You know, Fernandinho, I love him to bits. He's been a fantastic player for us over the years, but I just don't think he's ever been a centre-back and, he, and he's, he can kind of fill in there a little bit. But, you know, even against Wolves and against Newcastle, there were some pretty mm. dodgy moments involving him. Uh, the goal at Wolves, I thought, was his fault. Um, so I, th- I think it's just the case of them just kind of kind of making do with what they've got at the moment and it's it's a problem that they were able to rescue themselves from and yeah there were some dodgy moments in the second half as well that they they got away with um and hopefully i mean there's there's a report today isn't there that uh that stones and, and walker are back in training so hopefully at least one of them will will be fit enough to play some part in the game on sunday and we'll we'll start to look back to our old selves because i don't think it's a it's a, an issue tactically or anything like that i think you know we play a high line all the time and it's just been exposed mm. by the fact that we've got a 37-year-old midfielder mm. filling in there at the moment. Yeah, Adam, that's the thing, isn't it? You can't, like, as, as much as um, like the criticism all season has been that maybe City's squad has been too small to fight on all four fronts, the one place where they have got strength in depth is in the defence. You can't legislate for the fact that, what, four of them are injured at the same time? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's hard luck and, you know, you don't want to bemoan these type of injuries as, as reasons why you're not doing so well, but it is a key factor and I think we were, there was a two or three, maybe even three seasons ago, we were, there was a, a, a part where Fernandinho had to settle in and do a covering job in centre-back, and he was poor then. That was two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. So add two or three more years into those legs, and he's still being asked to do a job that it's not very natural to him. He's a great defensive midfielder, but when he's defending with 40 yards behind him, you, you've not got a chance in a foot in a foot race. He's going to lose every time in this twilight of his career. And I feel it's it's not his fault that he's being asked to do that job. And the fact that we've been had so so much uh, bad luck with these injuries in that key department, it's just been exasperated by the fact that the person we're asking to go into that position is an ageing defensive midfielder. And I, I just hope it doesn't tarnish his legacy with the fans. It shouldn't do. It's just the fact that it's bad luck of injuries in that department. And we're asking the caretaker to go and do the job for us. It's just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's sad, really, because he deserves better than that. But we're, we're we're almost flogging him at the moment just to just to get through these games. Yeah, uh, Dan, I did see um, a little bit of criticism, uh, kind of during and after the game, uh, headed towards Edison. Um, what what do you make of it all? Could he have been could he have been a bit better for? I mean, I'm I'm not really I'm not really blaming him for the first goal. I thought he came out and you know he made it made it fairly difficult. But could he have done better with the second one? I think so. Yeah, because he he tried to save it with his feet, didn't he? And I'm like. I don't know why he did that. Was he was he sort of thrown off balance? Did he think did he think Bowen was going to put the, the other side of the goal or something, and he, he couldn't adjust in time and try to try to save with his feet? I don't understand might, it. Might really. have been unsighted. He came through Fernandinho's legs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that was annoying actually because Fernandinho got back into a good position and it still went through his legs. But I mean, again, Edison, I love him, but and, and he's fantastic for us, and, and we wouldn't be the same team without him with with, with the way that he, he he can he can pass the ball out and, and his calmness under pressure. But you do sometimes wonder where the saves are with him. You know, he doesn't come to our rescue an awful lot. You know, I can I can think of the the Atletico Madrid game when he saved that one from Correa at the end. But it's pretty rare that you go, oh wow, what a fantastic save Edison made today. He really really pulls out the shit there. And you would like to see that a little bit more from him. But then you know you're sacrificing so much if you're bringing mm-hmm. in a, a good shot stopper, aren't you? So it's it's a difficult balancing act. And mm-hmm. I wonder if Edison's at the point in his career where can you even coach a goalkeeper to save shots better at that point really I don't, I don't know like and anyone who's ever coached me will tell you it's impossible 
Yeah, it it is it is a delicate balancing act, though, Adam. And um, as I mean, as 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 much as you might question Edison's shot stopping, um, what you know, if they win the league this year, it will be his what fourth title in in four in uh, five years at City. So he's on for the Golden Glove again as well. Yeah, Um, (laughs) yeah. I I just wonder how much of it is like the fact that he's out of practice because he's faced with so little shots. So the, the the ratio of shots to saves is lower because we've, he probably only faces three or four shots a game. Where if he was peppered with twenty shots a game and conceding one or two, then you'd say, but he saved eighteen. So I think, and the points he'll will get from him starting the attacks from the back and playing out through the back and how we split the two forwards or split their wide players and play around them, um, will will over over the season you'd hope gain us more points than it costs. But I think, and it's an age-old cliche with the goalkeeper, you're the last line of defence. If it goes past you, it's obvious that it's you that's made the mistake, if if that's the case. Uh, there's no hiding place for Edison. And I think it's easy for him to be shot at. I do think his shot stopping leaves a bit to be desired, but I'm blaming that. But I'm playing the numbers game for him. And I'm saying it's just because he only faces two or three shots a game. And I know your big goalkeepers will save those when, when it matters. But I just think, and, and, and I think the Golden Glove, award is more down to the defence the defensive partnerships we've had in front of him this season as well and not just down to Edison so yeah he is he, he's not doing well to answer the questions that are being raised shall I put it like that I try and, <laughs> try and be quite uh, nice to him yeah. Yeah, you know, people used to say that Petr Cech was worth 15 points a season I wonder how mm. many Edison's worth it's hard to quantify isn't it I guess yeah, yeah. and I think impossible to quantify but yeah and I think his would be worth more in the other end of the pitch as bizarre as it sounds like you say like he, he, you'd lose so much if you forfeited him from the team, but I'd love to, to have some kind of mathematical equation. I'm probably the right person for it. So I was going to say, step, you've step sent man me my over it. Now. Yeah, yeah, you've sent me my homework now. <laughs> you know how many attacks was he in the in the beginning of that ended in in good chances or goals, and how many has he been directly affected by? Stay tuned. To, uh, <laughs> Maybe Monday night's live show where we might have the answer to that one. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll, we'll get Adam on the case for that one. Um, uh, Dan, I want to talk about Mares because um, after the game, there was there was a lot of people talking with twenty twenty hindsight that Mares shouldn't have taken mm. that penalty kick. Um, I I can't I cannot understand anybody suggesting that somebody else on that pitch would have been a better fit for that penalty kick because Mares Mares is the taker and he's been he's been pretty good for City. Yeah, it's it's absolute bollocks. I'm afraid that people are saying that. You know, when that penalty, when the referee points the penalty spot, there's nobody else on that pitch who should be taking the penalty. He has been the most reliable taker for us over the past couple of years. And you know, people are are looking at the the one that he missed against Liverpool a couple of years ago, and this one now, and saying, oh, he's a bit of a choker in the big moments. He's he's not got the mentality for it. And it's like, what are you talking about? I don't, you know, if if and it wasn't a great penalty from him against West Ham, let's be honest. But if the goalkeeper dives the wrong way there and it goes in, nobody's talking about this, are they? Everyone's talking about a win and another penalty score by Mares. They're talking about and how he's been cool under pressure. That's yeah, what exactly. About. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't reverse engineer your feelings based on what happens. Yeah, you, you have to kind of stick to your guns on these things. And and Mares has been very reliable from the spot, more so than than probably a lot of players in the team. You know, we, we went for a period where we had De Bruyne taking the penalties and then he missed a few and we and we switched it up. And um, you know, I think 
Guardiola would say of the outfield players that we've got that Mahrez is, is the best penalty taker and will remain the penalty taker but you know maybe we wa- we are one step closer to Edison taking a penalty after who knows <laughs> yeah uh, I mean this is the thing Adam he scored I mean people were talking about as Dan said um, that Mahrez chokes under pressure but he scored you know after a very long wait against Dortmund when they were losing in that away leg uh, he scored at Arsenal on New Year's Day That that uh, he scored again uh, against Spurs to draw the game earlier in the season and then City yeah. went and lost it afterwards but like the, these are big pressure moments that they're all huge moments that he's scored in so it's it's certainly not a pressure thing is it no so I think he's guilty of being weighed down by City's recent penalty performance as a whole over the last three or four seasons so that's the only thing he's guilty of absolutely he's the right person to take the penalty at that time in that match as pl- of players on that pitch it would have been a close one the only one I can see close to him was De Bruyne who wasn't in a particularly good moment, as Pep would say, in in that game either. So, absolutely the right person. I think the only thing that's affecting him is the fact that City have missed penalties. The fact that you can reel things, reel some misses off the top of your head without even thinking. De Bruyne against Liverpool, Gundogan against Liverpool. Perhaps it's just and perhaps it's just penalties against Liverpool actually, <laughs> where we choke and we're fine everywhere else. So, I think that's just fresh in any City fans' mind. So. I think whoever stepped up on Sunday, there would have been doubt in City fans' minds whether we were going to score or not because of recency bias. And I think that's all it boils down to. Mahrez is a big game player. He's done it in the final minutes of the African Cup of Nations. He's done it in the in the final moments of the Champions League for us. He's done it uh, to equalise against Spurs, like you say. You, as easy as it is to reel off City misses, it's easy to reel off some Mahrez penalties uh, that he slot, slotted away as well. So I think it's just a, a collective negativity around City and penalties, not necessarily Mares on penalties. I think people are looking at that missed chance against Liverpool the other week as well and saying that's a big moment that he kind of crumbled mm. in. But it's like, I mean, that wasn't great either. But also, <laughs> if he just takes a bit off that chip and it goes in, everyone's saying what an amazing goal, aren't mm. they? Sometimes I think people's criticism is, why don't why didn't you put the ball in the net? And it's like, well, I tried. <laughs> it just didn't go in. Like, that's yeah. football, isn't it? Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, final question for the first part of the show. Um, Adam, if there's a penalty given and the scores are level on Sunday, who takes it? It has to be Mahrez if he's on the pitch. I've got no doubt in my mind that he wouldn't bury it after the weekend. It's almost written in the stars. Dan? Ederson. Ederson. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'd be more petrified there. So. It's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include a lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue and more. And sometimes doing this show alongside my normal working week can leave me feeling burnt out, stressed and tired. It's so easy to get to the end of the week and sometimes realise that I've had just no time off and it can leave me feeling both exhausted and helpless sometimes. In fact, one of the best things I did this season was taking a short break and letting Dan Burke take control of everything for a week. We associate burnout with work like that, but it's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feel burned out and BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritise yourself Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. BetterHelp is customised online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Blue Moon podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash blue. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com forward slash blue. 
Right. Uh, well, the season's coming to a close with the final match against Aston Villa on Sunday. Ahead of that, I sat down with Casey and Kieran Murray to talk through some of the best bits of the last 10 months or so. That won't make the end of season montages. We all know the best games, the best goals and all that sort of stuff. So we're focusing mainly on the things that made us laugh. We started by talking about dogs. Man's best friend. And it turns out... Um... Man City's thought, best friend. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I thought you were. I thought you were going to say barking up the wrong tree when you said where you always are with dogs. <laughs> oh God, we started. Uh, yes, Phil Foden's dog is called Carabao, um, presumably after his uh, success in the Carabao Cup competition. And then we found out that his name, this dog, was called Carabao. And then we got knocked out of the Carabao. <laughs> <laughs> and Liverpool are now the owners of the Carabao Cup. Uh, so it's not gone that well. It wasn't a good omen. I believe Phil Foden missed the penalty that sent us out of the competition as well. So I forgot um, about that. <laughs> yeah, I think his dog's probably strung up now. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a real uh, dog day afternoon. Oh, Casey, oh, stop it, stop it. Um, do you remember the story of uh, Bernardo Silva jumping into the lake to save his dog, though, uh, Casey? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that just seemed mental. Isn't that how we found out that his dog was called John as well? I, I don't like, know. Like, I, did, did it? Did it not come? Like in my head, both of those two are mixed up. But yes, yeah, like like Bernardo. So like he's, he's so small as well. You just you just be worried about him. To, like the dog taking him down with him as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, just uh, just an absolutely mad story. Yeah, it was the story was Kieran that um, the dog can't swim uh, and saw the reeds on the on the lake and thought it was grass and jumped on it and so just went straight through the the reeds and into the water. And Bernardo right. was just like, I I need to get this dog out, and so he jumped in after it. <laughs> Saint Bernard. <laughs> oh, oh and, and you tell, and you tell, and you telling me to pack it in. So we need to pack it in with shout like that. Mine was much more sophisticated than any of yours are. <laughs> it took me a second for the penny for the penny to drop there. That's because it's a thinker, yeah. <laughs> Casey's are all the most common denominator. <laughs> yeah, um, your 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 Saint Bernard joke was a barrel of laughs. Oh God, it started. It started. What have we let ourselves one. in for? I don't get that one at all. <laughs> we'll explain it to you after. Um <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about uh, daft things that have been said in interviews this season as well. I think the the iconic one. Uh, in fact, I'm going to play. I'm going to play the selection of uh, of this interview from uh, Cole Palmer um, after the Swindon game with uh, with ITV. This is what was this is what was said. What do you make of your first FA Cup goal? Not not one in the Premier League yet, but your first FA Cup goal for City. I know. Yeah, delighted. Prem soon come, but. Just got to um, take it game by game, day by day, and hopefully work my way up. And how has the manager been in touch in the last few days and, and during the game and tonight? How's he been in touch? I think he's been in touch with uh, Rodol, uh, Rodolfo, and Rodolfo's passed it on to us. And yeah, delighted for him. And, and what do you think he'll have made of your performance from a distance? Who? Pep. Hopefully he enjoyed it. <laughs> it's I, 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 I promise you, like everyone latched onto the, the, the Prem <laughs> 2 <laughs> <thing. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Casey, that who bit's the best bit. Who? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 w- I would love to hear Kieran do an impression of Prem soon come, though. Go on, then, Kieran. Who? Uh, uh, you know, Prem soon come. What the fuck was that? <laughs> that was Whitman and Spotnik doing impression. That was just in your accent. <laughs> Prem soon come. <laughs> Uh, Casey, he said he both sounds and looks like he's from Withenshaw, doesn't he? That, like, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. that look of, of somebody. It's like I am from Withenshaw. That's what he looks like. 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 that that's meant that's meant in a very complimentary way. Just uh, just looks like he's just completely comfortable in his own skin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kieran, the the who is the best bit? Is it like everyone latched onto Prem Sukum, but who is the yeah. best bit of that interview? Yeah, no, absolutely. But like the the interviewer makes it pretty clear because obviously the the Rodo the Rodolfo bit like it causes him a bit of confusion because he doesn't know whether he's talking about Rodolfo or Pep. Um, but then the interviewer says, do you think he'll be impressed watching you from a distance? So, that's, so when he goes, oh, <laughs> clearly meant Guardiola-like. <laughs> yeah. um, the, like, Prem soon come, just like as a non-native Mancunian, that, that's, not, that's not a Mancunian turn of phrase, is it? Like something soon come? Is it just it's, like a one-off? It's, it, it's more that we're just old, mate. Like time's right. just moved on. Yeah, we're, right, we're, okay, we're, yeah. Us, 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 us three are mid-30s now. This is, this, this is how the young lads speak now, I reckon. Right, okay. What, just, just, just of... by missing words out? No, <laughs> surely not. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, language evolves, David. You know this. <laughs> He's just flexing, I suppose, is he? Yeah, I don't, check, I don't know check, what that means, check, Kieran. No, that will. Check, check you out as an English teacher as well, wanting to know the ins and outs of the cat's ass. Um, let's let's move on to uh, later in the season because uh, it was all going on with Everton as well. Um, KC, there was the first off, there was the Rodri handball uh, that, that everyone just seemed to kind of memory hole that that happened. It was it was a case of uh, yeah, may, maybe maybe you did handball it, but you know we'll never know. <laughs> no, to, to be fair, um, when when you know a few Evertonians, and I know Karen knows more than me, hmm. uh, yeah, n- nobody's memory hold that. Like it's, it's, brought, it's brought up every day. Like, it's just, it's like, like you know the the you know I, I know I know uh, quite a lot of our fans can be like, oh, the world's out to get us, but yeah, Evertonians are a different breed. Oh, it's Evertonians just, uh, will remember things from 1972 that they'll bring up over and over again, even now that they're still better about before they're even born. They'll still be going on about it, like. What what could Rodri have done more, Kieran, to to have got away, to have got away with a handball? There could he have caught it and got away with that? It was, so, it was <laughs> yeah. such extreme handball. <laughs> yeah, and no wonder they wanted an apology for it. But didn't Rodri kind of like rewrite the rule book last year against Villa with some like mad offside decision, and oh, the Villa did, fans yeah. lost their mind? Uh, so he's got this kind of like peculiar habit of being able to like absolutely send a fan base like wild over sort of some little um, misdemeanor or rule break or rule change that seems to apply to him and only him. Uh, and then it sets everybody fucking skew whiff in their head. Yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah, it was, what was the, uh, the final decision came down to something or the final like bullshitty decision they gave was something about him. Um, there was no, there was, the sleeve or something. Yeah, there was, there was no conclusive evidence that the ball hit only the part of the arm that it's not allowed to hit. Uh, it definitely hit it, but there was no conclusive evidence that it didn't also hit the top of the arm, which it is allowed to hit. And so the VAR could not overturn the decision that was uh, that was on the pitch. And everybody in that away end just went, well, thank fuck for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. The conclusive evidence being that all our eyes saw it. <laughs> it couldn't have been more of a handball. <laughs> Uh, what what was the pineapple as well? You, you told me about the pineapple at Everton. Is this it, was this just an inflatable? Yes, but like John Hay and Alex and Nico and that went went to uh, I think Smithy's, you know, the fancy dress shop um, where you can get all kind of like mad inflatables and props and stuff. And they wanted to get inflatable bananas for the away end, but I think they only had one inflatable banana left. So they were like, what else have you got? And they were like, uh, we've got a pineapple. So they just bought it <laughs> and took it with them to match. But there's brilliant photos of Sam Lee with Sam it before Lee, the match. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then when was it Foden scored later on in that game? Yeah, you, you can just see, see a pi- you just see a yeah. mad pineapple in the way. See a pineapple going all around. Like we should really be having pineapples uh, for the South Stand um, at the weekend against Villa uh, because it should be a staple of the of City fandom now. It was absolutely amazing. You could just see that pineapple waving all over the place amongst the limbs in the uh, in the way and the goodness. It was great. Yeah. Now we can't get this far into the alternative highlights of the season uh, without talking about this being the season where Guardiola has. Uh, uh, he's come out of his shell a little bit in press conferences, but he has gone full Bert. Um, here is uh, a bit of a press conference megamix of some of the things that he said recently. The last stage of the season, fighting for the titles. And that means we are a big club. There's a lot of money, I know that. But not just that. Hi, Pep. Um, I think you just used the words overthink. I overthink a lot. And is that fair? Absolutely. Tonight I take an inspiration and... I'm going to do an incredible tactics tomorrow. So we play with 12 tomorrow. You know. <laughs> Bernardo was in before and he said that, that you had a plan to win tomorrow. Well, it surprised me a lot because Bernardo said we have a plan, but still we didn't speak about the plan. <laughs> Fernandinho has said that he's leaving at the end of the season. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know it. <laughs> is, that, is that news to you? Simon, you gave me the news. <laughs> Sorry about that. I didn't knew it. Everyone in this country support Liverpool, the media and everyone. So Liverpool has an incredible history behind in Europe competitions. and Not in Premier Leagues in the, because we won one in 30 years, but, uh, but uh, it's not Premier at all. The absolute saltiness of that, not in Premier Leagues, KC. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... The, the the way that he sort of says like that last one saying you are sport Liverpool come on it's like it's like with the look that had seduced your mother it's just uh, <laughs> absolutely just absolutely like he just says it like so sultry like come on come on like just abs- absolutely ridiculous the way he says it but but yeah he he has been on uh, he has been on good form with uh, with that sort of stuff this year and I think hopefully that's a good sign that shows that he's you know more relaxed and comfortable and you know, taking the piss out of not just the press, but himself as well, yeah. considering how stressful this title race is. Yeah. Kieran, what's your favourite one? Uh, that 12 players um, was just a, a masterclass in comic timing and delivery. Just, I, I like, I always like self dep like self-deprecating uh, humour where you can kind of send yourself up and, and have a little bit of a dig and laugh at your own self. Um, so, him being aware because he was aware of the fraudiola stuff wasn't he, in the past yeah um and now being aware of the kind of idea that he's an overthinker and then sending himself up well enough to say that we play with 12 players so he's going to really throw tactics out the window um yeah i really like that i enjoyed that one yeah uh, let's talk uh, Grealish because he's had uh, a hell of a first season uh, largely centered around uh, the Atletico Madrid and Leeds games because not only was he he was pelted with paper throughout the uh, entirety of the Leeds game uh, he had his hair pulled against um, Atletico Madrid and then uh, of, of all the things that he, he could have done to win City fans over um, I think Casey uh, calling Stefan Savic a uh, four letter word beginning with C was probably his, uh, his finest moment was it? Yeah, like I absolutely love that as well. Like uh, the, the the best bit about it as well is obviously there's no sound on the clip, but you you, you, can, you can hear, hear his from, accent. You, yeah, you yeah. can hear his accent in it. Yeah, go on like, then, do uh, an impression of it. Uh, you're a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more like hey. You're a 
Where is Grealish from, Kieran? Yeah, but if we say will you be able to beep us out? Because I've always wanted to be beeped out. I can beep it out if you want, yeah. Beep out the whole of his impressions, Jesus, what? I can do a really good Jack Grealish impression. No, you can't. Don't do it. Yes, I can. Listen, listen. Hello. Fancy seeing you here. Who was that? <laughs> Grealish, from me. Absolutely not. Um, moving on to uh, Newcastle away, um, because, Kieran, you told me this is where... Like, right, OK, what what is this? Le Porn Hub, what is this? Le Porn Hub? Uh, I, I, I can't remember. Like, I, I can't remember exactly the reply, but... Uh, in in the midst of like I don't know, Laporte's tweeted out saying something like you know, great performance by all the lads today or something, and then some random on Twitter has replied to him going, great performance, Laporte Hub, and then he's just replied to this going like, what did you call me? <laughs> uh, so like he's actually he's actually made it a thing by responding to it. Otherwise, it just would have got lost in the replies, you know. Uh, and now people have started affectionately calling him Laporte Hub, which is. A a fucking unreal nickname, isn't it? <laughs> um, reminds me of that uh, that T-shirt you can get that's got the Pornhub logo, but it's a city T-shirt and it says Oil Club. Oh <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I think we I think we've seen it in the Smithfield before a game one time or something. Yeah, some yeah, I think you it, pointed yeah. out to me, sure. Yeah, I think that ginger wig sells and they're really good. Uh, yeah, so Le Pornhub is just brilliant. I don't know who came up with it or why or how it links to him in the slightest, but yeah, just dead, dead funny, Le Pornhub. Yeah, embrace it. Uh, the other yeah. thing I remember from uh, Newcastle away, KC, was uh, Cancelo just chopping down their striker for a penalty and then it just not being given. Like That, that one just being forgotten again, like the Rodri one. That, 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 yeah, that, that was just a mental decision. It was Edison and Cancelo together, both yeah. Just yeah. inspired <laughs> to just go, yeah, it was uh, yeah. Oh, it, it was, was Edison. Really... It was Edison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, Cancelo. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Cancelo, Cancelo had control of the ball, but like Edison just just did an Edison and just came out <laughs> and just thought, I'm just going to take this guy out by the knees for absolutely no reason when Cancelo was fully in control of the ball. Um, but yeah, that that like that, that was a, yeah that was another another decision we got away with. Yeah, um, let's talk United because it's uh, oh yes, it's, it's never not funny, is it, to see uh, the difference between where City are now and where United are now compared to what they used to be. Um, the tra- the transfers, I mean, the, the thing for me, Kieran, uh, is the fact that you still we are what what was it two thousand and nine that the Welcome to Manchester poster went up. So yeah. we're what we're we're nearly fifteen years on from that, um, and still nobody outside of Manchester City gets it. I know. <laughs> I know you did a lovely feature on it, didn't you, last year, I remember. It was really good when Sancho yeah. arrived and, and they tried to do the welcome to Manchester. Um, I constantly sort of have to explain it to my United supporting mates from home as well. It just it flies right over their head. Um, the The idea being that Manchester, Manchester United are not located in Manchester City. Uh, it's just as it's simple as that and none of them yeah, get it. Yeah. Uh, so where where is it actually located? Trafford? Which is a, a suburb of Manchester? Is that right? Yeah, it's in it's in uh, the metropolitan borough of Trafford, which is in Greater Manchester. But it's um, but in terms of the the boroughs, the borough of Manchester is, is outside of that. Yeah. So the Carlos Tevez "Welcome to Manchester" joke is because Manchester United isn't in Manchester, and they use it every time. Like United fans just do not get it. It's mad. 
Yeah. I'm absolutely stunned that them lot have got no sense of humour and knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, can they see the funny side of being sixth again this season? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> um, okay, see as well, there was the whole uh, Ronaldo thing at the start of the season, how uh, what the player that they uh, they assumed was going to come back and, and win the title for them oh, and, God, and, right. and was going to make them challenges again. They'd, they'd stolen him from under City's nose and look at the how the season's convers- gone. The amount of conversations I had in pubs with people those first couple of weeks, where it was literally just like United oh, blokes yeah. just going, "Oh, we're going to win the league. We're going to win the league easy." Like you're not worried, like, "Oh yeah, we've got him from underneath you," and you're just like, "You've got absolutely no midfield. What the hell do you think you're going to do this season?" Like, hey, you crap, and you've got no midfield. Why? Why do you think that you're going to be able to win the league? But instead, it was just easy to just like sort of nod along and just like sort of smugly go, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. We'll, we'll you know, we'll see at the end of the season. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, but, yeah. the birdie buffer is thirty-two points. We are on ninety, and they're on fifty-eight. I mean, I, I, how the mighty have fallen ten years ago was the seven, QPR game it, where, it, where we beat them on goal difference, and now we're beating them by thirty-two points. It's is mental. It, is, is seventy-one is the difference in goal difference at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're and, our goal, and our goal difference is plus seventy-two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely let, insane. Let's run through some final alternative highlights uh, very quickly to finish. Uh, the third kit's been a disaster, Kieran. <laughs> uh, right, I've grown no tiny, no, tiny bit. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know why? Right. Do you know why? Do, do you know why you have? Because you're a gobshite. It's all Stock- <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't aesthetically. I think it's horrific still, but. I kind of, when I see them lining out in it, I'm not thinking, oh God, this is a disaster and I'm going to be sick looking at it the way it was at the start of the season. It used to anger me. It used to aggravate me that oh, much. But... Kits, kits, kits don't generally anger. It just, it yeah. just looks like a pair of pyjamas, doesn't it? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It was insulting that they, re- that they released it. Like, um, City fans don't even call City Man City. So it was just weird to see it like emblazoned across like that. It was just um, like an insult to fans to have that kit. Um but I think we played all right in it, apart from obviously getting dumped out of the Champions League in it. And um, the Carabao. <laughs> and what oh, shit? Oh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, I seem to recall a few decent performances in the league, but now I'm thinking we just uh, drew with West Ham in it. So, yeah, maybe um, let's, let's put it kind of bin. like put it in room 101 and never think of it again, yeah. Yeah. Casey, okay, so you saw Ben Mee at the Etihad? I, 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 did, I, did, I did see Ben Mee at the Etihad, and it was the day of the derby. But this, this, it this absolutely absolute, was this, not Ben Mee. This absolute prick here, because he's like, no way is that Ben Mee, because he <laughs> thought he was too short. It was fucking definitely Ben Mee. Ben, ben Mee, because I know you're a bird. If you're listening, say that, say that you're in the fucking Tunnel Club or whatever, wherever you were at the at the derby, because this gobshite then sees the greasiest looking man you've ever seen and goes, oh, is that Jack Grealish? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then a bald man walked by and we were like, oh, there's Pep. <laughs> so we find lookalikes for everybody on the concourse then after Casey thought some random blonde fellow was Ben Me. It was Ben Me, mate. He had a lanyard. It was Ben Me. <laughs> Wait, he that's had a lanyard. That's, that, that's it, is it? He had a lanyard. He had a lanyard and it was Ben Me. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, he just had a lanyard and he was walking about in a bit that we weren't familiar with. And he's going, oh, look, that's me in the corner. (laughs) Uh, um, Scott Carlson kept a a Champions League clean sheet, Kieran. Uh, Yeah, um, that's mad. I think he's our our only current Champions League winner in the squad, isn't he? So uh, uh, it was great to see him back in the competition. 
Um, yeah, he seems to be an absolute hero, doesn't he? The, the boys seem to really love him. And he was um, he was trying to like organize a straightener with some of the Atletico Madrid uh, players in the car park after, wasn't he? Yeah, that finger twirl was absolute. That's just, yeah. you know... That, yeah. that, that 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 that's someone who's been in the vault in a pub that's just like, yeah, I've been here before. Yeah. Out the back, lad. Yeah, <laughs> he's a bit of a legend, isn't he? They seem, to, they seem to adore him. And then there was a big, like, there was a thing of him kind of coming back into the dressing room after or something, wasn't there? And everybody, like, whooping and cheering and jumping around for him. So, yeah, that was a really nice little highlight of the season, like. Yeah, and uh, finally, Kieran, you have, you have to, I've forgotten what this one was, you have to explain to me, what, what was not a rivalry? Uh, it's just mad journalists seem to be thinking that um, Liverpool and City isn't really a rivalry because we don't hate each other as much as the days of like Vieira and Keane in the tunnel or uh, all these Fergie rivalries. So yeah, it's, just, it's just it's just manuscript, isn't it? Basically, yeah, yeah, it is basically yeah, and longing for the nineties and noughties under uh, under United sort of heyday. Um, because no journalist can look at this rivalry between City and Liverpool on in football in terms, uh, and and think that it is a rivalry because there's no needling and no hatred. But then Pep kind of started needling Liverpool a little bit, so maybe he's ramping up the rivalry. I haven't seen this. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe he read it all. Maybe he did. Yeah. 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 Uh, so KC, what's what's your alternative highlight of the season? We talked through a load there. What's uh, what what is it that makes the cut for you? Uh, out of all them. Uh... Yeah, probably this bollock's taking the piss out of me with Ben Mee. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran, same question. Uh, definitely Grealish Colin Savage. <laughs> <laughs> if you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was our alternative moments of the season. Don't forget that next week's podcast is being recorded in front of a live audience. If you're in Manchester on Monday the 23rd of May, tickets are still available. Just take a look at our Twitter feed at Blue Moon Podcast for details. It's at Idle Hands Coffee on Dale Street in the Northern Quarter. It's due to kick off at about 8.30pm. But if there happens to be a parade, and we're not counting any chickens yet, don't start blaming us if it doesn't, if there isn't a parade for anything here. But just in case there is, uh, we will wait until it's finished. So uh, you can get yourself over to that and then uh, and then come over to the show. Um, Adam here has also promised to buy all the drinks for the night, haven't you, Adam? <laughs> yeah, me and my big mouth losing a bit. <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember what it was for. I just remember that it you're going to buy us all drinks, yeah. I said that we wouldn't score more than one goal against Burnley away, and we beat them 2-0, I think. Oh, yeah, so. it was 2-0 inside <laughs> 20 minutes or so, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah there we exactly. Go. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, well, now it's time to preview whether or not there will be a parade. It's Aston Villa at home. City need the win to guarantee the title. Let's welcome Frankie Maguire from All Villa No Filler. Hi, Frankie. Hi. How you doing? Not too bad, thanks. Yeah. Bit nervous. Bit nervous, but uh, we'll uh, we'll kind of part that for now. Um, how's it going with Villa at the minute? You're uh, you're safely in mid table. It's all kind of about final position in the table now, isn't it? Yeah, we're sort of firmly ensconced in the much coveted race for twelfth place. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, um, which I guess counts as progression for us, considering you know we were in the championship not that long ago. Um, our form's been very, very streaky. Um, seem to go on three-game winning streaks where we'll batter a side like Southampton four 0 and then proceed to go on a four-game losing streak where we proceed <laughs> to be destroyed by Tottenham four 0 So, very hard to predict Villa. Um, tend to do okay against the teams I think you expect us to do okay against. But then when it comes up to the top eight, we haven't got a win under Steven Gerrard yet. So um, I'm not convinced this Sunday might be the day that winning streak starts. I was going to say, if you could hold it off for for just at least one one more attempt <laughs> yeah. at, uh, at any of the top eight, that would be nice. Um, Dan, I guess the, the, what you don't want to hear is that City's opposition for the final day of the season when they when when they need to win to secure the title is that the opposition are very unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's it's far from ideal. That I'd love to be able to say exactly what kind of Aston Villa is going to turn up and that we'll just uh, we'll just kind of steamroll them and. Yeah, I've been looking at this one ever since we signed Jack Grealish, actually, and thinking that there was a bit of a narrative there for the last game of the season, and, and particularly since, uh, since since Villa got got Steven Gerrard as their manager. That's a, another one to, to add to the uh, the narrative bucket, isn't it? You know, Coutinho as well. Who knows whether he might uh, pop up and do something against uh, to, to help his old team out. So, yeah, there's, there's a million scenarios that I've played over and over in my head already this week, and I'm sure it's only going to get get worse as we get closer to kickoff on Sunday. And I just hope the scenario where City uh, ease to victory is the one that that ends up being the, the truth. Yeah, that plays out. Um, Adam, what sort of game are you expecting? Um, can you see... I mean, the, the two I'm thinking of uh, at the end of the 18-19 season where uh, City played that, that really, really tense game against Leicester in the second-to-last game of the season or where they played the game at Brighton where actually they were pretty comfortable after after an hour or so. Yeah, scarily, I'm predicting another Leicester game. KG up until second part of the second half and then hopefully a moment of magic... Uh, does it for us? I can't. I can't see. I can't see us being not nervous enough to go and just play play, play our game. I think nerves will take over. I think there'll be nerves from the stands. I think that'll admit to the players on the pitch. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm generally kind of a negative persuasion when it comes to these type of uh, business and crunch crunch meetings. So I'm predicting similar to that. Yeah, um, Frankie, what's what are the Villa fans feeling towards this? I mean, obviously we're, we're recording before your game with Burnley, so it's kind of it's kind mm. of difficult to uh, to a, a kind of assess where you are at the minute in terms of squad and and, and what shape the squad will be in. Um, but what are the feelings from the Villa end? I think there's a real sense that of from Villa fans that we really do want to get something out of this. So I think there probably is a bit of added spice with the whole sort of Grealish backdrop, um, and I don't know, having some you know, impact upon uh, the top of the table. I think it is something you probably do want as a, as a club. I think it'd be good for us going forward. But, um, you know, to, to reassure City fans, it might be a bit nervous. Villa have lost 13 out of 15 to City. Um, even when City weren't that great, Sylvain Distan was still <laughs> running the length of the pitch and scoring against us. So, um, uh, but I think, you know, if you look at our recent history against you, the, the two most recent games we've played against at the Etihad, um, you had 
nil-nil uh, at half-time, I think both of them were. And last season, we had the Bernardo Silva goal, you know, coming back from an offside position and taking it off Mings. And they were two quite cagey games, really. So, mm. uh, yeah, I could see it being quite a cagey one. And I think Gerard will have the team definitely up for it. Um, and I could suggest a couple of ways Villa might threaten you um, if, if you if you want to know about that sort of stuff. I, I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> I, know, I'd, I'd like to know. As I, I'm, I'm one of those people that wants as much information about the impending <laughs> terror that's going to happen. So feel free, you know, tell us how, how, how do you expect Villa to play? Uh, yeah, Stephen Gerrard will be very angry at me for giving the game away. No, um, <laughs> basically, I think um, something to look out for is um, I. I if Fernandinho's playing, I'm not sure what the deal is there with your, your injuries at centre-back, but if he is playing, long balls over the top towards Ollie Watkins might actually cause a few problems for City's defence. And uh, Luca Digne has started to prove a very effective attacking fullback for Villa. And I know Carl Walker is uh, currently struggling with an injury after the Real Madrid game. So those two players might be a way that Villa can hurt City. But overall, it's going to be a bit of a siege, I think. And I'm not I'm not convinced Marvellous Nakamba, uh, destroyer of a centre midfielder, will be the man to deal with Kevin De Bruyne. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Adam, in terms of uh, City's lineup, um, I mean, Dan mentioned it before about, you know, that we saw, you know, Stones and Walker back in training might be available, might not be available. How much of a risk do you take in, in, in terms of this game? Because, you know, Ake's been, you know, on the fringes of being fit again. He's been on the bench a couple of times, but hasn't come on. You know, Fernandinho Zinchenko didn't have the best games at West Ham. Like, how, how do you balance it all? I think you take all the risks now. It's a cup final now. It's a straight shootout. We need to win the game to win the league. Um, you take all the risks. There's no game next week. It's not as if we've got a Champions League final to come. I don't think Pep gives two hoots about the uh, Europa Nations uh, competition that Walker and Stones might have their eye on. I think you bring them in and play them as much as, as they can give you. I think Walker was the difference when he came came in against Madrid and you saw how the drop-in level when he went off as well. So I'd yeah, throw them both in, even if they could only walk for five minutes on the pitch. I'd rather that. And literally, you need to do everything in your power to win this football match. Yeah. And if that means playing some subpar fitness performance uh, players, you do it. Yeah, Dan, I uh, I wondered if uh, the reason we haven't seen Ake is that that Guardiola might be looking at this game and, and be able to get ninety minutes out of him. You know, if he'd if he'd rested him for the last two. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope that he's available. That he, he can play alongside Laporte. I know there's a bit of reservations about. Or some some talk that Guardiola doesn't like left-footed centre-backs playing together. I don't know whether that's actually true or not. Um, it, it does seem a bit weird to think about two left-footed centre-backs playing with each other, but I don't really know why. But yeah, Two, two, right, two like, right-footers uh, play together all the time. Exactly, I mean, yeah, Stones yeah, and Diaz yeah. were great together. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, if Ake's fit and, and Stones isn't fit, then I would definitely like to see Ake starting alongside Laporte. If Ake isn't fit, I would be almost tempted to put Fernandinho in midfield and put Rodri at centre-back. Just maybe he might be a little bit better at dealing with with um you know Watkins and, and Ings and a bit of pace pacing behind I don't know really but I don't want to see Fernandinho at center back again after the West Ham game really so that would be my uh, my hope yeah um Frankie in terms of um Aston Villa going forward uh who have who have been the standout players you mentioned Watkins before and and Dinier and and his service is there anybody mm. else that could cause problems well f- we currently seem to be starting Coutinho a lot kind of uh behind the two strikers, behind Ings and Watkins. Um, Ings, in fairness, hasn't scored a great deal this season, but he's got quite a high number of assists. Um, but Coutinho, believe it or not, I actually think Buendia is a more effective player, um, particularly against a 
probably quite a physical midfield like City uh, in the centre. So I think a player to look out for is if Coutinho is not particularly effective this weekend and Buendia comes on in the last 20 minutes, every time Buendia has come on the pitch in the last kind of since January, he's done something really impressive. He's, you know, laid on an absolute guilt-ed chance in every single game. Honestly, every appearance he's had, um, he's good at you know physically. He's a, he's quite a diminutive player, but he's physically good at sort of standing a player up, backing into a player, holding the ball up, and just creating something. So he's probably a player that if he does come onto the pitch and it's a bit tight, City I think, but it should probably stick quite close to him because he's something. It's somebody who will conjure something at some point. Yeah. What's what's your away form been like this season? Um, it's largely better than our. Um, home form um we're more effective i think away from home generally and have been for a, a, quite a number of years really so yeah i mean uh, beat burnley in our most recent away game 3-1 uh, drew 0-0 away at leicester and um also lost two onto wolves which is quite frustrating but we've always <laughs> they've, so they've been you know quite tight games generally um we kind of set up quite well defensively away and uh, you know we also had a really good result uh, up at leeds not too long ago as well winning 3-0 um obviously that's a very different challenge to man city um so you know and earlier this season we got a 1-0 away uh, win at old trafford um so you know yeah, who, who, who doesn't win there these days yeah, that's, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the truth isn't it? it you know um villa winning at old trafford still feels like a big deal but actually when you take it into context you're like good god it's the easiest place <laughs> in the world to win nowadays so so yeah um i i, I think away from home we're quite we you know we're, we're not sort of we haven't been battered um but uh so that's why i'm kind of veering on what i think the score might be this weekend as to um whether we are quite effective defensively and hopefully don't fall apart yeah, Dan. Um, I mean, I mean, I know it's a, a massive cliche in football, but for this season, the first goal for City has been crucial because when City take the lead, they win the game. That's how it's mm. that's how it's been going this season. Um, you can't. I, I can't explain how much I want City to score the opening goal inside the first fifteen minutes. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's. it's I, I've never wanted it more. Do you know what I mean? The, f- the first five minutes will be better if anything, <laughs> wouldn't it? And that's that's what I'm hoping for, that we, you know, there's going to be a, a great atmosphere at the Etihad, that City come out fired up, that De Bruyne's, you know, really fired up like he was against Wolves uh, the other week. And and we start the game, you know, like a runaway trade and, and, and get Villa under the cosh straight away, get an early goal, and then we can relax a little bit, then maybe get one or two more goals before half-time and just chill out then. And it's and everything everything's wonderful. But the longer we go without scoring that first goal, the, the more tense it's going to become. You know, if Villa go a goal up, it's going to be unbearable. Um, and we've seen so many times, you know, we've said so many times over the years that, you know, you can, you can get a sense of how City are going to play from the first five or ten minutes. Usually, can't you? can get a sense of how the game's going to go. So I just want the game to start now and I want to know what that first five minutes is going to look like. And then I can I can start, you know, thinking about how, how the game's going to pan out. But yeah, a, a, an early goal would be would be amazing. Yeah, Adam, um, how, much, uh, how much of an eye will you be keeping on what's going on uh, between Liverpool and Wolves? Yeah, I think it's unavoidable. They have the ticker tape going around the stadium with the current score, current live scores, and we won't be able to avoid it. Um, I, I definitely know Liverpool are scoring before us on uh, on Sunday. That's, def- that's <laughs> yeah, definitely you've happening. You've seen that happen, have you? Here, yeah. oh yeah, definitely happening. Uh, the charity bet's coming home this weekend um, because 
yeah, that, that we, we don't score till late on Sunday to just to add to the drama. So um, that, <laughs> You also yeah, said we won't score more than more than one against Burnley, true, though, Adam, so let's be... True, <laughs> I'm hoping that that's also correct. So, yeah, um, yeah, you, you won't be able to avoid the other scores and such is technology nowadays that it'll be pinging off everyone's phone, even if you try and ignore it uh, on your own device. Someone next to you will see it and you'll hear mutters going round. As long as it's not false mutters, like when Steve Lomas kept the ball in the corner thinking we only needed a draw. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and we needed to score to, to stay up. As long as it's correct information, then I'm happy for that to trickle through. I was going to say, we've been here before. So I remember yeah. the 2-2 with Liverpool and we're holding the ball by the corner flag. But also that QPR game in 2012, there were rumours near me that uh, Sunderland had equalised and that Dzeko's goal was enough. And I was like, it just clearly isn't true. Where's it come from? It's like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not on. Um, Dan, in terms of, of, of City's frontline selection for this game... Um, what do you do? Because pretty much everybody's fit and available. Um, they've been rotated in and out all season. Um, I'm kind of, like, I'm kind of interested w- whether he'll go with Jack Grealish. Yeah, because I thought Grealish was our best player against West Ham. I thought he was he was really good and and you know barely wasted a ball and, and got on the score sheet. And I think he's been getting better and better as the as the weeks have progressed towards the end of this season. He was good against Newcastle the other week as well. And but I don't know whether that means he's going to start this game. I don't know whether the Pep is you know thinking about what he's going to do against his old club or, you know, he, he didn't bring Foden on and he didn't bring Sterling on against West Ham, which would maybe suggest that they're going to start. I don't know. You know, it's it's a, there's been a big gap in between the two games. So it wasn't a case of keeping people fresh, really, was it? Because you would, you'd imagine everybody would be, would be fresh. Really, I wouldn't mind any front three that you can pick from, you know, We've got Mares, who's who's uh, an option as well. You've got Gabriel Jesus, who's been playing really well. So any of the any of the six players basically in that front three would be would be decent enough, and, and you can always bring players off the bench as well. Um, it's just it's more, more midfield, I think, that might be the might be the the interesting point of what what he goes for in terms of whether whether he goes for um, Gundogan and De Bruyne or, or Bernardo and De Bruyne. Yeah, um, Frankie, if if City were to go with uh, Grealish, how would uh, how what what sort of reaction would he get now? Uh, I I think it would most likely still be uh, similar to what he got earlier in the season, a very mixed one. Um, I'd say the away support might give him a little bit more dog's abuse, (laughs) Um, maybe slightly more vocal and passionate. But, um, you know, at Villa Park, it was quite mixed. It was a lot of people standing up and applauding, but obviously booing is a bit louder and it, it, it... you know, it's easier to hear. So um, there was a plenty of that as well. But I've always said with Grealish Villa, I think time will be a healer there. And I think, you know, when he comes back in a couple of seasons, we'll we'll just look back and remember all the great times he had with Villa and the fact that he is a ultimately an Aston Villa fan and still um, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think I think if he appears on the pitch, it'll be interesting because you know, I, I guess for City, Guardiola maybe he thinks that Villa's defence will know him better, um, be better prepared for Grealish than, say, someone like Foden and Sterling. Um, but at the same time, Grealish is forming recent weeks. I've lo- watched quite a few of your games. Um, and I thought uh, Grealish has really started to look like he's getting up to speed with City now. Yeah, he's there looking some, settled, isn't he? Yeah, there's definitely some positive signs. and I've always believed in him. I've always thought, you know, it'd be a bit similar to Mares that it would take him time to get used to the Guardiola way. Um, and he's such a brilliant talent that you know I I always felt he could do it and um, you know against Real Madrid he was incredibly unlucky not to score those two chances Um, but that was the kind of penetrating run that I remember he'd do at Villa and I haven't seen enough of at City so hopefully he's confident enough now to start doing that well hopefully not against Aston Villa but next (laughs) season for you anyway. 
Do you reckon if he scored an Aguero-like goal in the last minute, he would celebrate or not? <laughs> it, it'd be the funniest apology um, goal <laughs> of all time, wouldn't it? Like, you just, how would you? It'd be like, oh, uh, I guess I should apologise. While the entire there's a pitch invasion going on around you. Uh, <laughs> um, no, nah, I think you know you just got to give it him, and you if he scores a goal like that, Aguero style. Uh, you know, how do you how do you restrain yourself, really? But, um, you know, I, as I say, with Grealish and Villa, I think there's still a bit of um, angst among the support. There's a lot of, you know, hurt feelings, I guess, seeing such a special player go. But over time, I think it all, uh, it'll heal up, I think. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that uh, Aguero goal in QP- and, uh, QPR in 2012 as well, Dan. Um, the QPR players uh, in 2012 said their team talk was pretty much done by City, thinking it was it was going to be simple. Um, Frankie, I'm interested. Do you, do you fancy the Villa players could be fired up by a lot of people on the outside thinking that this is just going to be a, a, a cut and dry City win? I think so. And I thought Jurgen Klopp was quite smart the other day when he said that uh, he doesn't expect Villa to do anything because we have to play on a Thursday night tonight against Burnley and then on the Sunday. And as a club, we're not used to that because we don't play in Europe or haven't done for a while at least. Um, and I think they're the kind of comments that it's quite a canny thing for Klopp to have done to sort of fire up the players in some way and say, actually, we're going to prove you wrong. And um, so, yeah, I, th- I think there probably is a sort of sense of, um, you know, I can see it amongst the fan base as well, even just looking on Twitter and things that um, people maybe have slightly written Villa off a little bit or believe Villa aren't capable of taking on City. But uh, I think there's, yes, I think there is a sense that we want to kind of go and prove or want our players to go and prove a fair few people wrong. Yeah. Uh, what you need to do now is uh, just double bluff Klopp and just, you know, open, <laughs> open up the middle of the pitch, play no goalkeeper, make it nice <laughs> and easy. That's all. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I, could, I could imagine it. Yeah. Uh, now, look, I don't want to panic anybody, uh, but we've got one game of the season left and we need we still need one more win on the charity bet for our best ever season. We've been this close now for about nine weeks. Um, and so we're getting to the stage now where if none of you get it right, I'm going to start going around to people's houses and asking for money. Um, <laughs> William Hill's given each of us a £10 correct score single. Uh, the winnings are going to the Man City fans' food bank support. Go and see them on Sunday. They'll be outside the Etihad under the bridge by Asda from about 1.30. Um, obviously, it's Villa at home. It's the final game of the season. Uh, let's try and add some money to the kitty shall we um let's start with adam what's uh, what's your score prediction for this one so yeah nervy one nil 70 odd minute nervy one nil is uh, eight to one we don't get the timing on it so uh, just eight to one will do you 80 quid if you're right uh frankie what are you having yeah i'm a bit i'm never confident facing city um i think we'll put up a good fight and we might get an early goal possibly through watkins but i think ultimately you'll probably have too much and i'm going for a 3-1 man city win 3-1 is uh, 11 to 1 and 110 pounds if you're right Dan before I say this let me tell you that I am terrified about Sunday I'm not going into this you know cocky whatsoever but my hunch tells me that we're going to win 4-1 so that's what I'm going to go for 4-1 yeah, trust your gut feeling. It's uh, it's in, in terms of score predictions, it's always wrong. So uh, there's uh, <laughs> there, there's nothing to take from that. Uh, Sixteen to one, if you're right, though. Uh, 160 pounds uh, into the kitty. Remember, you got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, Frankie Maguire from All Villa No Filler. Um, normally at this point, I wish everybody the best for the season. But honestly, <laughs> this week there is absolutely no way you are getting any nice feelings from me whatsoever. City just got to get the job done. So. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, well, hopefully Gerard sticks up my 3-1 prediction on the wall and uh, that inspires <laughs> the Aston Villa players to go out and do all right. Yeah, um, I hope no. not. 
Yeah, uh, I would wish City luck this weekend, but obviously I can't. So, uh, but good luck going forward, at least. Anyway, it was nice <laughs> to chat to you again, Frankie Maguire from All Villa, No Filler. Now it's time to hear from Howard Hawking for the final time this season. He's looking at the reasons to be cheerful ahead of Sunday's game. It's almost over, the longest of nine months, like an elephant's pregnancy rather than a human's. I've not really thought that through. Every season nowadays is hard work, even when the team hits the heights. At least if you live a second life on the internet, anyway. Anyway, there's been other stuff to talk about though this week, away from the matches. The new kit's out, and very nice it is too. News emerged also about the possible departure of Ilkay Gundogan. It's weird how the news that Gundogan is leaving, possibly, makes me slightly conflicted. My only feeling should be regret, as he has been one of City's greatest value ever buys, and his leadership, calm and nous on and off the pitch is a huge loss, should he go. In the same summer, Fernandinho also leaves. And yet I assume that his exit, should it happen, means someone is coming in, and there's always an air of excitement at the possibility of a new signing, especially in recent years when they tend to be rather good. I imagine the same squad being robotically brilliant for a decade, with no arrivals and no departures. Yeah, I'd enjoy it all, but there would be an air of staleness at not seeing anything new, not learning the ways of a new player, and possibly falling in love with them, as you have with so many before. Anyway, now it seems that his departure is not so clear, and his travel abroad was actually to get married. Strange timing, but hey, congratulations. So what does this mean for the squad going into next season? Well, ah. Uh, Nah, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. What was I thinking? A nice seven-minute segment on transfer chats isn't distracting anyone from Sunday. It's pointless, absolutely pointless. There can be no distraction. We're just waiting now and suffering in the meantime. Oh well, at least I tried. So what can I do? Well, there's only one thing left to talk about. Try and be objective. Try and look at Sunday rationally, if that is possible. Try and be positive, again, if possible. This is me after all. So here is a list of reasons why City will win on Sunday, perhaps comfortably. Let's start with the obvious. We're playing at home against an inferior side who are about 45 points behind us in the league with a clear objective and are the only team with something to play for. It really does mean more for City on Sunday. Then there's the Steven Gerrard narrative. It may surprise some to learn he isn't playing. I wish he was, he's 41. He may desperately want Liverpool to win the title, or he may be focused on his own team. But either way, what are you expecting him to do? Dress up as Braveheart and give such a rousing pre-match speech, his squad turning into a reincarnation of the Brazil 1970 team? I assume he wants his team to win every match, so I'm not sure his desire will be any different to normal. Coutinho too. If he has another level to take his game, then perhaps the key question is why wasn't he reaching those levels in previous matches? Forget Coutinho, who once played for Liverpool and thus must automatically be a fan for life and have a liver bird tattooed on his arse. Him and Gerard narratives are irrelevant, an absolute goldmine for media content and nothing more, something for Liverpool fans to cling on to, as irrelevant as the fake stories about Villa getting £15 million for Grealish if City win the title. If City mess up on Sunday, it's because of other reasons. The main one being that they simply didn't play well enough to win the match. More relevant financially is the money earned per position in the table, and as Villa could go up three places by beating Burnley on Thursday evening, the more winnable of their two remaining games, is that not the game Gerrard should play a stronger side in? It could be worth almost £6 million in the coffers. 
that Palace above them have United at the weekend, so maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. Next is the big comfort going into the weekend. About 66 hours before Aston Villa kick off against City, they finished their previous match against Burnley, who are fighting for survival. Many eyes will keenly be looking at the lineup up chooses for that, but he surely cannot put out a seriously weakened team. This would bring the league into disrepute, and if you think a reserve lineup would annoy City fans, imagine what Everton and Leeds fans would have to say about it. It could realistically cost them their Premier League survival. Villa are at home, their final home game of the season, and there is a duty to play a strong team and entertain the fans before the obligatory lap of thanks. Yes, he may rest Watkins and Coutinho, for example, but there has to be many first-teamers picked, and then they must play again under three days later, or Gerard must play backup players. City have had a week off. This means fatigue and ease helped with the team having a couple of days away, and who knows, the odd injured defender might just make it back, allaying fears further. Villa themselves are down to two fit centre-backs, so have their own defensive issues. Hopefully the fatigue issue becomes more and more relevant as the game progresses. So even if there is frustration in the first halves, City have more of an advantage later in the match. But what about the other players in that Villa side, away from Coutinho or perhaps even Danny Ings? Imagine your Tyrone Mings to use a random example. I could have used Konza, but to allay your fears further, he is out for the season. And if Callum Chambers is his replacement, I would hope there was a, that is a defensive pairing City can destroy. Anyway, imagine you're him. Are you really hell-bent on destroying City's title challenge? Is that your oxygen? I would argue for many players that is not the case, that the desire to hand Liverpool the title is not particularly strong. There is no incentive to play well and win beyond their normal professionalism and desire to succeed. So if, for example, City were two goals up midway through the second half, would most of the Villa team be that bothered about getting back into the game? I'm hoping not. Anything else? Well, Pep has beaten Villa every time he's played them. Every time the Premier League title race has gone to a final day, the team who started the day on top ended the day on top. Villa weren't great in the last game against Palace, and as Gerrard has to mix and match, I'm more than happy with 36-year-old Ashley Young lining up against us on Sunday. I'd rather 37-year-old Fernandinho wasn't lining up against him. So has that helped calm the nerves, everyone? Nah, me neither. There's no way to, really. Just remember that despite that penalty, City could easily have lost to West Ham last weekend, and then we'd be really sweating about goal difference too. And also remember that there are worse teams who could end the season playing. There's no easy way to do this. We're all just sweating, twitching and getting distracted at work before Sunday, at which point I would drink as much as possible before kick-off, for medicinal purposes, of course. Fingers crossed, I would have given anything to already be champions, but if we win at home for the first time in eight years, then that provides a better story, better memories and a better narrative than a cruise to the title. Here's hoping one of the best teams in the world can focus and finish off the job on Sunday. Hi, this is Gary Cook, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Howard Hockin, and we're going to finish with uh, one listener question. It comes from Nick Myers on the emails. Uh, he says, could you talk about the EDS and under-18s and the prospects for the future integration into the first team? Um I, I'm interested in this, Dan, because we, we we actually we very rarely dedicate any time to the uh, EDS and the under 18s on this show anymore. Um, 
I, are there any players currently there at City that you have that you feel like you have a genuine chance of seeing in the first team? Because it's it's felt like like for so long that's not been the case. And then Phil Foden arrives. Yeah, I, I don't know really. It's it's a tough one because obviously we, we've seen over the past couple of years, you know, the likes of Cole Palmer coming through. You know, he looked really good in the first team last year. He looked he looked like, this season. Sorry, he looked like a you know a first team quality player. We've seen James McAtee. There's a lot of excitement about him, and and uh, and, he, and he's looked good in, in the sort of flashes that we've seen of him. CJ Egan Riley came off the bench uh, against Newcastle the other week and looked solid. He's, he's looked good in the in the cup competitions as well. You know, you've got like Luke and Bette, You've got um, you know um, Wilson Esbrand. He's he's looked good as well. You just don't know whether any of these players are going to get the chance, though. Really, you know, I was I was thinking the rumours the other day about about Gundogan leaving. Um, does that mean that we would just sell him and maybe uh, McAtee steps up a grade and takes his place in the first team? Or does City immediately sign another player to take his place and then McAtee's in the same place that he is? He might get a few minutes in the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup next season and, and that's it really. And then we're still none the wiser as to what, what kind of future these players have. I just think we're at the point as a club where we've got some good, talented young players, but they're not necessarily being blooded for the first team. They're just being yeah. blooded to kind of be in in and around the first team a little bit. And then if it doesn't work out, which it probably won't, let's be let's be honest, with, with the vast majority of them, then they'll be sold on to somebody else for, you know, maybe a tidy profit. Um, so it's like, at, at the moment, you would say Cole Palmer is probably the only one who seems to have a bit of a pathway, but even that pathway has got a lot of obstacles in the way. So it's just a, a tricky situation for these young players. I feel a bit sorry for them. Yeah, Adam, I'm interested as well because like we've spent all season talking about how this squad is probably a little bit on the small side. And then Dan's just reeled off a list of names there that uh, that may have been able to come in and, and play 45 minutes against you know Burnley Wolves, mm. Crystal Palace, someone like a team in the middle of the table, and you know do all right. Um, should there have been more chances for them this season, or is it is it a very much a case of um, Guardiola just can't take that risk? Yeah, one of my biggest frustrations is the lack of game time for EDS players. And you, we should, you, you know, it, I think Pep has now recently rightfully got the praise for the way he handled the Foden situation when people from outside the club were clamouring for Foden to get minutes and or to be loaned out to get those minutes if he wasn't getting the first team. I mean, we've not even mentioned Liam Delap, who I thought could have done a job when things weren't going our way, and certainly in the absence of an out-and-out striker in the squad. And you think if we've not got a striker in the squad and Liam Delap's chances are being halted to get into the first team. I know he's had some injuries, but it's a real frustration of mine. Like The door does seem to be closed, although I could contradict myself and say, but look at Phil Foden and his path to the... But it does seem to be that if you if you're going to get minutes under Pep, it's either going to be the first half of the season when we're in all the cup competitions, or you need to be ridiculously, ridiculously good, and that's like the Phil Foden level. And it just frustrates me that if I was a young player at City and I'd try and take my City supporting hat off at the minute, would you stick around? I mean, you've got the best coach, the best facilities, the best teammates to learn from, but how much do you value that above minutes on the pitch in terms of your overall footballing career? And that's a question that I think a few fans, I don't want to speak to what, for all City fans, but I certainly share a frustration that I'd like to see more homegrown players just from that kind of someone who plays for us and plays for the shirt like we would. But then at the expense of how many trophies would that cost to get young, you know, Mancunian 
players on that pitch at what what what, what price do you pay for that and i could probably contradict myself and say i'm not willing to to forego a trophy <laughs> for for the minutes of a young mancunian but yeah, again, I'll still complain all season until that happens. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say though, Adam, there's, if there's one thing I I don't want is is uh, a young player on the pitch playing like I would. Goodness me! <laughs> <laughs> so one of the one of the worst ideas ever. That I've, I've, I've I've seen me play. It's not it's not a good sight. Um, uh, I mean, I mean your desire, David. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan, the the academy. I, I'm. I, do you think it's reached the level that it needs to be at to, for players to make it at City? And well, I, I don't mean that as a criticism of the academy because. Because there was when when the EDS was was kind of set up as the EDS and not just kind of like the under 18s or whatever whatever it used to be called. When they moved it all over to the CFA, there was there was kind of this expectation that it would be generating first team players week after week for you know for thirty years sort of thing. And I'm I, I kind of I remember having to dampen expectations at the time and going, look, it, it needs time. It needs time to be able to build and to develop and to you know to to be able to get. A, a batch of players to the level where they might be able to make it into City's first team. And as much as, as we've talked about there being a lack of opportunities there, you did just list off a, a, a load of players who have made senior appearances for City this season. So is the yeah. academy actually now up to the level where it's starting to get those players into a position where they can compete at City? Yeah, it's funny we're, we're talking about this actually because I've been reading um, Nader Manua's new book this week, uh, which is really good, by the way. And he's talking about his time when he came through the academy at City, you know, when, when Jim Cassell was in charge and they, they brought through all these players like Anua, uh, Micah Richards, Michael Johnson, Stephen Island, you know, all all those players, that, that really good crop of young players that we had. And at the time, those players got chances because it was a necessity. We didn't have a pot to piss in as a club. We needed those academy <laughs> players to to fill the first team, basically, didn't we? And that's why those players got chances. Now, in, in the current guys, those players might still be brought through the academy, but they wouldn't get in the first team or they wouldn't see nearly as many first team minutes as they did. And we've got a we've got a situation now where we've probably got the best crop of young players that we've ever had. You know, maybe maybe you might say the 1986 Youth Cup winning team was 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 as good, but, you know, maybe, maybe this is better, the, these group of players, you know, McAtee and, and Palmer and, and the like and Delap and stuff like that. But the pathway is just not there in the same way. And um, you wonder if it's ever going to be the case, really. And you, and you kind of wonder, not what the point of the academy is, because we know what the point of the academy is. It's to produce footballers, to be able to, you know, create a bit of an ecosystem within the club mm. that we can, we, we can, that brings a bit of money in and, and, you know, these players are not going to be cut adrift, are they? They're going to have good careers wherever they, wherever they end up. I just wonder if we can be a bit more smarter with the loan system sometimes and, and maybe get players out on loan to Premier League clubs if we can. There was a story today, in fact, about uh, Southampton are interested in, in taking Delap and Bazunu on loan next season. And that we never do that, do we? We never send players on loan to Premier League clubs. They always end up like Tommy Doyle, for example, like he's a good one who looked really good a couple of years ago and you wonder if he's ever actually going to play for the first team again now. He yeah. went on loan to Hamburg last season. It didn't work out. He's gone to Cardiff. He's done quite well there. Get him, get him out to a Premier League club if we can next season. See what he can do. You know, get Dilap out there. You know, even like McAtee or someone like that. Get them out there and see what they can do. That's the only way we'll know whether they're going to be good for City because they're just not going to get the opportunities because the club doesn't need them. Yeah, I mean the 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 other side of that as well, Adam is. City will quite happily turn around and say, "Well, you know, the academy isn't here to, you know, to to build a first eleven. It's here to give these players careers in football. And if that means that they have a career in League Two, then they have a career in League Two. That's a success story for City's academy. It's not. Yeah. It's not. Um. It, it, it's not. Oh, they didn't make it in the Premier League. They didn't make it at City because yeah. let's be honest, the vast majority of these players aren't going to make it at City. 
Yeah, I heard when the CFA was rebranded around the time you alluded to. I don't know whether it was this term I'm going to use was in derogatory or you know a, a positive point, but that I was I heard it was going to be like a conveyor belt of football in that they would mm. nurture these young men, make them media savvy, make them physically savvy uh, in terms of being able to compete at the top level, and then be shipped out. And that's almost horrendous to speak as human beings. You got to remember, there's these young lads are human beings behind this education and behind this system of you know every age group's going to play the same way up until the first team and then get shipped out and the the buy-in from other clubs would be that they get a more rounded individual into their their teams that's been educated at the highest level which City want that academy to be but yeah this conveyor belt of footballers just kind of I don't think the selling point was ever going to be that they're all going to be like you say 11 City players uh, all from the academy it's going to be one or two if they're good enough and if they're slightly just not good enough then they get shipped out and they and they they're a valuable asset in terms of some money coming in to balance the books as well I think we've done some real good business from the academy if you just take your you know you take your hat off and just look at it from a business point of view it's actually a great you know money making tool and that's don't really sit well with me when when I hear those words coming out of my mouth. To be honest, when you you think these are young lads, but they're certainly not going to be cut adrift like Dan said. They're, they're going to be assets for other clubs because they've been, they've had the best education, the best facilities in the best arena. So you know, any young lad would jump at the chance to join City's academy because they know what they're going to get out of it at the end of it. I just think the door seems to be shut unless you're an absolute elite level for City's first team. Yeah, just just thinking about that though, Dan. I can't think of are, are there any academy graduates out there that are playing elsewhere that you kind of feel that's one that got away. Maybe Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho. Could have, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's sort of one. There's that uh, Bino Gittins who's at Dortmund who looks really good. Who played really well in their youth uh, UEFA youth uh, league team this year. Um, but no, I'm, I, I can't think about it. I mean, you sort of. You're going back to like, you know, do you remember when Brandon Barker was all the rage when people were saying he was going to be the next big thing? And and where I don't even know where he is now, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Dennis Suarez and people like that. And I remember like um, uh, Alex Garcia, people, were, you know, he played, he got some minutes in the first team under Guardiola, didn't he? And I think he's playing like Spanish second division now. So it, it happens quite often that players just don't, uh, you know, fulfil the potential that they, that they show in... In, uh, in in the early years, but I think like I, I'm looking at like Conor Gallagher, who was sent out alone from Chelsea to Crystal Palace mm. this year, has done it extremely well for Crystal Palace, and will probably go back to Chelsea and play for Chelsea next season. That's what I would like to see uh, mm. one of our players go and do well for a Premier League team, and then we go, oh, actually, he is really good. Let's get him back. But I think Guardiola is is more keen to keep the players close, training with him, and you know, learning from him than going out and, and learning something else and. I don't know if that is necessarily the right strategy if you want to get young players into into your first team, but I don't know if that is actually the aim of the academy for City, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, City fans, Adam, used to hang their hopes, as Dan said, on on youngsters who would eventually go on to to not make it. There's a there's a whole list of players that um, that you can that you can talk about where City fans have said that you know he's the next big thing. The, the one I always think of is the classic one is uh, is John Gaidetti. Um, <laughs> Has has that changed though now? That, that 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 list of players that Dan talked about at the start, that do they all have a genuine chance of making it at City? Yeah, I think Foden's the poster boy for that now, and he's the proof that you can make it if you reach those levels. I'm really guilty of pinning all my hopes on a young I've got this romantic idea that like <laughs> all eleven are gonna be from the Academy and they're all gonna be City fans and they're all gonna die for the shirt. And it really in reality it doesn't 
it doesn't end that way. So I think Palmer shown is is good enough. I'd have him in with no questions asked. Uh, I'm desperate for Delap to pr- uh, the way he finishes. Uh, you know, chances we've been crying out for. Whether he can do it at this level, we'll never know because he's not been loaned out to a Premier League cl- club and he's not got the right amount of minutes in ours. I, I look back to the Bournemouth game he played last season. He scored with w- one of his first touches into the top corner, and I was saying, yeah, he's ready. I'm very guilty <laughs> of you, you know putting these young lads on the pedestal and then no- nothing material. Him, but I think Foden's shown those lads that there is a way to into the first team. You just got to be really, really ridiculously good. So I'll put if you if you ask me for a hot take now, I'd say Palmer and probably Delap. Yeah, well, uh, fingers crossed uh, that that is uh, is something we can be talking about next season as, uh, mm. as two of the star players of, uh, of the new City squad. Uh, that yeah. brings this Blue Moon podcast to a close. Um, thanks to my guests Dan Burke. Thank you very much. And Adam Carter. You're welcome. If you'd like some more to listen to or just to take your mind off Sunday in the run-up to the final game of the season, we've got 10 months' worth of Patreon shows available to listen to now. There are a combination of formats all centred around nostalgia and they're all available for everyone who supports the show by £2 a month. This week's episode was a City Heaven, City Hell. It was Neil from the Beyond the 90 LCFC podcast uh, joining me and City fan Bob Toole to reminisce about four matches between City and Leicester. Too good, too bad each. Here's a short clip. The people I sit with um, at the ground, um, our mate Casey, you know David. Yeah. Um, after after everyone finished celebrating, he was just telling everyone around us, "Oh, this dickhead was saying don't shoot," and just made <laughs> me feel like I was the only person in the world that that had said that. But obviously, um, as you've alluded to, it's become a bit of a meme and Aguero. And I think even Company said in a post-match interview that he kind of heard it from the crowd like the don't shoot just sort of the collective kind of sort of uh, intake of breath maybe um and you can see that in the way he plays like yeah like he, he shapes the shoot then hesitates and does it again and just goes for it so um very glad he did really um one thing as well i, I love i don't know whether you, you've noticed this when you've watched the highlights of the goal back before um about 30 to 40 seconds after the goal goes in you can you can hear the crowd sort of um, take us like a lose their breath almost like a, take a big intake of breath when they watch the replay in the ground and you can sort of hear it yeah uh, it's, there's, it's there's something there's something amazing isn't there about 40 odd thousand people all going ooh at the same time just like that, <laughs> that sort of under your breath sort of ooh that, that, yeah. that noise but magnified by 40,000 is fantastic that was a clip of this week's bonus podcast. You can get that and every bonus episode from this season on our Patreon page right now. Sign up to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. You'll also get extended interviews and ad-free episodes on there as well. It's just £2 a month. Our next podcast will be the live show. That'll be out in the middle of next week. But if you'd like to be in the audience on Monday evening, then go and take a look at our Twitter feed for details on the tickets. Fingers crossed it's a celebration and fingers crossed for Sunday. Come on, City. was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast